The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Almost every CEO in the world wakes up every morning and asks him or herself, just before they swing their legs out over the bed, what if? Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. And what if does not necessarily mean fear of something bad. It could be that Bloomingdale's or Macy's bought a whole bunch of a specific spring dress, and then Princess Kate is photographed wearing that same dress, and now they can't keep it in stock. The what if the Princess Kate dress choice is causing an unexpected runaway bestseller, which raises revenue beyond expectations. Can we get any more of those dresses? But what if can also be just the opposite? We bet heavily on Brand X's dress line this season, and no one's buying it. We'll have to sell it below expected markup just to get rid of the dud, and we better do it sooner rather than later and salvage what we can. Or what if can be a raw material supplier suddenly going bankrupt? or revenue miss that leads to a decline in your stock value, or worse still, what if sales below fall below X percent and we have to lay off staff? Or I've got a cold. What if it's a signal of a really bad flu season? What if many of my employees call in sick? Can I still ship product on time? Can I keep my assembly line running with 20% average absenteeism? Do I have a plan? And if I don't have a plan, even after we offered all those staff members flu shots, do I need a plan just in case? Should I warn my customers so that they can be prepared for potential shortages. The one person CEO in the world who does not wake up every morning asking himself questions like that, the what if question, the one CEO in the world who doesn't do that is the president of the United States, whose mantra is, well, we'll see. Well, He extended, we'll see, into Homeland Security and its role in healthcare security. Health security has been a fundamental task of the National Security Council since the first George W. Bush term. Bush, concerned with the possibility of of bacterial warfare and the global spread of HIV, established a viral tracking organization within the National Security Council. And that task force 
turned the tide on HIV, not just in the United States, but in Africa. And it prepared his administration to mount a rapid response to outbreaks of what was then called in 2004 swine flu, which we know today is H1N1, and we get in our flu shot every year. And then came SARS. SARS was very deadly in Asia, but it never reached the United States because we had science and staff and global contacts in place to manage the crisis. We had emergency medical teams. We had supplies stockpiled. We had money allocated to help hospitals care for the uninsured. And President Obama built onto that National Security Council viral team in response to the Ebola crisis. He pushed U.S. preparedness one step further, sending U.S. personnel and appropriate equipment to Africa, the epicenter of the outbreak, to stop it there, so we would not have to stop it here. The Bush and Obama White House's national security consuls had a strong homeland security team that included health personnel who searched the globe for outbreaks of unknown viral pathogens on a continuous basis so that we could help the world to manage any resulting crisis where it first appeared and not have to fight it here. But on his first day as the head of the National Security Council, John Bolton fired Tom Bossert who managed, who was the NSC director for Homeland Security. And he immediately dismantled all the domestic agency coordination that that team had done over a decade and a half for health and natural disasters within the National Security Council. He turned it completely into an outward foreign looking organization. But that was not enough. In 2018, the president began to mount an assault on funding for both the National Institutes of Health and the Center for Disease Control. Why look for unknown pathogens elsewhere in the world? We've got oceans around us. Why spend money to eradicate disease that doesn't occur within the continental 48 states? Well, Congress, to its credit, refused to go along, and thank God that they didn't, because along came coronavirus. No anticipation means that our response to the growing outbreak in the United States is slower, weaker, and more disjointed than any citizen of this country would have expected, going as far back as the 1957 flu season. And in that flu season, airline travel did not connect every inhabitant of the planet Earth inexpensively and quickly. No, no longer did we have viral research coordination within the government in 2018, let alone in 2020, the flexibility to mount a rapid response to a global threat. No problem, we'll just close all of the airports to people of color. Even now, with deaths mounting in the United States and in Italy, there is no airport screening of travelers returning to the US from Italy. It is, there is screening for Asia and Iran. 
Anthony Fauci, the country's leading expert on infectious diseases at the National Institutes of Health, stepped to the microphone on Monday to tell us what the consequences of failure to ask, what if? What are the consequences now and what are they gonna be? Dr. Fauci has served every president since Ronald Reagan. He has been the face and voice of American medicine whenever it's been necessary to inform and calm the American people at times of health crises. His appearance on all five of last Sunday's Sunday talk shows were canceled. And instead, we saw White House talking points coming out of the mouths of Vice President Pence and Secretary of Health and Human Services, Azar. Azar being one of the few people we thought was an adult uh, in the room, but he too followed the company line about, oh, nothing to see here. Well, Dr. Fauci, who has been the face and voice of American medicine whenever it's been necessary, HIV, SARS, the swine flu, the Ebola crisis. Well, he was pretty clear on Monday. COVID-19 is here. We don't know yet how bad it will be, but we expect community spread of the virus. Those numbers will grow as we ramp up testing for the disease. And by the way, testing kits are still more than a week away from, from widespread distribution. Again, that is a consequence of a failure to plan. The United States has tested to date barely 400 people for COVID-19. In the meantime, the South Koreans who had an organized um, response to an epidemic outbreak of a virus have tested several hundred thousand people. The fewer people we test, the more major disruption there will be to lives of more individuals in the United States because there is no vaccine and there is no drug therapy at this moment. And under the best of circumstances, there won't be either a vaccine or a viral drug. Think of Tamiflu, that type of a drug. We think it's at least 18 months away. That's Dr. Fauci, despite what the president insists. He keeps saying, oh, we're going to have a, a, a drug to, to treat it in, in just very, very soon. No. We won't have a vaccine for it next fall either. It takes a long time to do human trials that prove two things. One, the drug will be effective. And two, the drug will not do anything, any harm to you as somebody to whom is it, it is administered. Takes a lot of time to prove that those two conditions exist and a lot of testing. Not as much as it used to because we can now do a lot of it by modeling using computer technology, but we still have to do the human trials. So we need to test, treat, and cope with techniques that help to minimize the spread of infection. We have to be particularly concerned about older people, people with compromised immune systems, and people with underlying chronic disease. We have to make sure that the people who treat people in 
in uh, old age homes and have diabetes, heart disease, respiratory disease, the people who are at particular risk, we have to make sure the people who are taking care of them do not bring this infection into the rest home as it did in Washington state, killing six people. These are risks that doctors in a third world country would express at this moment, not the United States of America. What we have in the world right now is a pandemic. It, it meets the definition. And it's a pandemic that scientists have both predicted and feared since the SARS outbreak. The failure to listen to the scientific community and to make the investments necessary to track on a continuous basis communicable illness, to hop on the need for testing kits the minute the extent of the problem in China began to emerge, and to begin mass testing at airports immediately would have prevented the initial infection in the United States and would, by the way, have prevent the extended infection in the United States. What it is, is a failure of imagination on the scale of 9-11, a failure of management and coordination that was 100% preventable. And now it's become yet another a failure of telling the truth to the American people. The problem, President Trump, is that people are listening to Dr. Fauci and not to you and Vice President Pence and the White House talking points. Coronavirus is not a political problem. It's a national crisis. It affects the health of the nation, the overall U.S. economy and the global economy. And now you are making it a national security crisis with orders to all commanders of U.S. forces to take no actions or gi and give no orders to U.S. service personnel who might be at risk of contacting COVID. And I'm going to quote Secretary Esper's order that U.S. officers are not allowed to do things to protect their personnel that, quote, contradict White House talking point, unquote. You want to talk about outrageous, outrageous. In other words, we're putting the safety of our service personnel secondary to whatever the president believes is in his reelection best interest at any given moment in time. The stock market's roller coaster ride is a rational response to the administration's plan, failure to plan, to forecast, or to anticipate. The chief executive's failure to ask the question, what if, and to set in motion a robust response to the possibility that what if might become it's here. The market hates risk. And you know what? President Trump, a failure to plan creates risk. And as fear spreads here and abroad, with new cases popping up daily around the world, this is not a problem that the Federal Reserve can solve with interest rate cuts. Part of the failure to plan does rest with our industrial giants. 
the companies who are seeing their stock take deserved losses. In the last 20 years, there have been three viral infections that spread around the world that originated in China. All three of them caused supply chain disruptions. But each year, U.S. industrial and consumer products leaders have become more dependent on goods produced in China to fill the shelves in the United States of America. From clothing and shoes to electronics, consumer packaging of foodstuffs that are grown in the U.S., yes, if you only knew what they do, where, where the apple juice you give your children to drink is really produced as apple juice and packaged, you might change your mind and buy it at the farmer's market. But that's a subject for another day. So let's just go on with one of the things that comes to the U.S. and to U.S. Uh, supplier, sub-suppliers is steel. But most concerning is that 80% of the active ingredients in the prescription and over-the-counter medicines that Americans take daily, that Americans depend on daily, come from China. Mitigating this risk, rather than doubling down on it, should have led these multinational corporations to push harder against the administration when it announced its withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the Paris Climate Accord and our free trading agreement with South Korea. All of these would have reduced our dependence on China as the low-cost leader. One of the failings of American business is its quarter-to-quarter -quarter mentality. I mean, that has led us to this crucial moment when the financial leaders of the G7 nations have to organize an emergency response to what is expected to be a 50% reduction in global GDP growth this year as a result of coronavirus. But for the United States, in the midst of a presidential election, the crisis is both a reminder of what we should expect from our government in response to a global health crisis, a government listening and looking outward for signs of external threats, able to anticipate and plan for probabilities and possibilities, a global leader able to organize to solve problems overseas and not here. A rigorous pursuit and adherence to science and scientific evidence that puts a premium on the safety of the American people first. And that includes service personnel serving overseas. A government that is able to respond quickly, a government that acknowledges and embraces the importance of our role in a rules-based global order, that challenges and punishes China's cavalier attempts to disguise the size and quality of the viral outbreak there and thus put the entire world at risk. The bold, principled leadership the world has expected to come from the United States is missing at this moment. But this moment is also an opportunity to stop and ask, what if?
What if the United States of America recommitted itself to sustainability and self-sufficiency as a strategic national imperative in an increasingly complicated world? That's a debate we need to have and to have right now. This election should not be a question about a return to some past a decade ago that we now see as golden, but an aggressive pursuit of a future driven by science and optimism and common sense. Not talking points that no one is listening to anymore. But in the meantime, the best thing that you and I can do is avoid shaking hands and make sure to carry a bottle of Purell in your pocket for those moments when there isn't any soap and water. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.